0: Tonight, please, turn to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 this evening. We continue looking at the miracles of Jesus in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. The title of my message tonight is, A Withered Hand and Blinded Eyes, A Withered Hand and Blinded Eyes. Luke chapter 6 tonight, we'll begin reading in verse 6, 6. <clears throat> And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. There was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand, and he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness. Madness. Had communed one with another that they might do to Jesus, what they might do to Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word again and we ask, Lord, that you'd help us tonight. Father, help us to hear something from your word and just use your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, to speak to us. Lord, I need your help and so I surrender to you and ask for your filling. And Father, that you might be honored and glorified as we just outline the Word of God and make sense of the reading. And Father, I pray you speak to our hearts through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're getting to the point in Jesus' ministry now where his reputation would precede him. And Jesus' custom, as the Bible has already told us, was to attend the synagogues on the Sabbath day and to read the Scriptures. Now, I don't believe that he could just walk into any synagogue and open up the scrolls and read for people wouldn't know who he was and so when we read about him reading the scriptures i believe it was likely in the synagogue or his home assembly place that he would have grown up in likely in nazareth the bible is very plain about that that jesus was faithful in attending worship Earlier in the chapter, we read in Luke chapter 6 and verse 1, if you'll read with me. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this, what David did when himself was a hungered? And they which were with him, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And so Jesus has already been rebuked about doing works on the Sabbath. But now we come to verse six, and since it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue to worship and he had shown that he would already do work on the Sabbath, he also had compassion toward those with infirmities it seems like there was a trap being set these pharisees and these scribes knew that jesus would be at the at the synagogue that was his habit the bible tells us that back in luke chapter 4 and verse 16 where the bible says and he came to nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was he went into the synagogue on the sabbath day and stood up for to read so it's no surprise that Jesus would be there. And I believe there was a conspiracy afoot and that a trap had been set. There was also a man there, the with withered hand. It's very likely that these Pharisees knew that he also attended there. Perhaps there were more Pharisees in town that day, we don't know. The Bible tells us this morning, as we read in Luke chapter 5, that as Jesus was in that household, that some had come from Jerusalem, and some from Galilee, and some from Judea, there to hear the Lord and likely to question him about his doctrine. Well, here they were, gathered in this synagogue. And the time was ripe and the trap had been set. They knew that he would work on the Sabbath. They knew that he had compassion towards those with infirmities. And they knew that he could not resist going to the synagogue. I, I don't think there was ever a time in history where the Pharisees were more faithful to the synagogue than when they were trying to trap Jesus. I just wanna do something very similar to this morning and I don't normally preach this way but I wanna do this again tonight just because it's kind of the way it fell out. I'm just gonna give you the outline again. Give the entire outline and then I'm just gonna draw three principles from scripture that I want you to notice tonight. So start with me in verse six and we'll give you first of all the characters. The characters, we notice right away uh, a regular man with a withered hand. The Bible says in verse six, and it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he, Jesus Christ, entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. Now, I don't believe there's any idle words in scripture, and the fact that it was his right hand is implying that this was his dominant hand. This was the hand that he would use for work, and the word withered means that it was crippled and retracted. It had shriveled in some way. I don't believe that this man, this this crippled man, uh, was there for any other reason but to worship God and to hear from the scriptures. He said, well, maybe he went there to meet with Jesus. But the Bible doesn't say that he ever asked Jesus for anything. I think that if I were in his condition and I knew Jesus was going to be there, that perhaps the first thing I did when I came through the door was search out Jesus. As a matter of fact, I, I want you to think about this with me tonight. If it was Jesus' habit of being at the synagogue, and by the way, the Bible does not say this was a synagogue. I don't believe it's implying in any way that as Jesus was traveling around the uh, area of Galilee that he just went into any synagogue. The Bible says that Jesus entered into the synagogue. And the Bible goes on to say, and taught. I don't know about you, but when you go on vacation and you visit a church, how often do they just let you take a Bible and open up and teach a Sunday school class? Uh, If I go to visit a church, we were in Florida a little while ago. We went to a church, and I, I, I had met the preacher once before. I had preached with him years and years ago, but he didn't recognize me or remember me. I didn't get up and assume I could just preach. And so the fact that Jesus was in the synagogue and taught, it's implying in my heart at least that Jesus was likely in the synagogue in Nazareth. The Bible says he was in the regions of Galilee. He was preaching around his hometown at this time. And so the fact is, I believe he was in the synagogue of Nazareth. And he was able to open the scriptures and teach from them. And all of this time, I believe that likely, this man with the withered hand, that was also his synagogue. It was likely that he maybe even grew up with Jesus, had played in the same streets and maybe went to the same schools as Jesus and had attended this assembly with him for many, many years, it's very likely, and so he did not expect anything from Jesus. But lately, things had changed, hadn't they? All these years, I believe that even as a 25-year-old man, Jesus would open the scriptures and read from the Old Testament. As a 27-year-old man, he'd open the scriptures and read from the Old Testament. But now as a 30-year-old man, something was different. And as Jesus came back from the wilderness, we learned a couple weeks ago, and entered into the synagogue once again, the Bible said, now full of the Holy Ghost and in the power of the Holy Spirit... He would open the scriptures again and talk about those that would receive the sight and those that would be made to live again. And, and Jesus looked at them all and he said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And from that moment on, Jesus' ministry changed. That man with a withered hand would sit in that synagogue every Saturday and likely overhear the indignation of the scribes and the Pharisees as Jesus would open the scriptures and read and begin to teach. But now his teaching had life. Now, his teaching was not about the past, it was about the future. There was something different about this Jesus, and the scribes and the Pharisees, no doubt, were upset about it and they would complain one to another. Have you heard what Jesus did this week? Well, he turned water into wine. He talked about this woman at Cana, and he knew about all of her husbands and all of her sin, and many people have trusted in Jesus down there in Samaria. Have you heard about the other miracles he did? This man with a withered hand is probably sitting across the room from Jesus and thinking, well, why not me? But I don't sense from the scripture at all he was bitter in any way because every week he still went to the synagogue and there he worshiped his God. He was there for a purpose to worship him. And so we see in the characters tonight, first of all, a regular man with a withered hand. But then we also see religious men with wicked hearts. Religious men with wicked hearts. Look what the Bible says in verse 7. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. Not the man with the withered hand who was just spoken of in verse 6. But they're talking about Jesus. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. These wicked men had already decided that we're going to find something wrong with Jesus. We just have to watch and wait. All we have to do is be there and be present at the Sabbath. And you know, there's a man with a withered hand in that place. And one of these days, Jesus is going to look upon him. And one of these days, he's going to heal with him. And all we have to do is just wait. And Jesus will fall into our trap. They came there with a purpose. We read this morning that some of these men came from Jerusalem, Galilee, and all over. And I believe that there were some there as well. And they were looking for trouble. Verse 7 says that they might find an accusation against him. Those are the characters of the story. He all, oh, but there's one more, but we can't, we can't group Jesus with the rest. And so we have the, the characters. We have a, a regular man with a withered hand, and we have religious men with wicked hearts. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, the Christ. Look in verse 8 with me. The Bible talks about him, but he knew their thoughts. Imagine as these men are over in a corner and they're whispering, what are we going to do and what is the plan as Jesus has come forth? and Surely he's going to see this man, the withered hand. We have a perfect storm developing here. And we'll catch him. The Bible says he knew their thoughts. We notice, first of all, about the Christ, his wisdom. And as we consider his wisdom tonight, we see two things. We see his Insight. The Bible says in verse 8, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. I don't know how full that synagogue was. I don't know if there was 100 people, 200, 500, or 800. I have no idea. We were over in Israel and we went to some of these little villages. And it, it, it would appear to me that in most of these towns, a synagogue there would seat probably 120 to 150 people. We stood in the ruins of some of those rooms, and we saw the different layouts, but they were all about the same size, and probably 120 to 150, and if we assumed that it was maybe 100 people that, that, there that day, it would, it would stand to reason that there were other people with needs. Yes, there was the man with the withered hand, which would have been an obvious need before everybody that was there, but likely there was others that had some sicknesses, others that were struggling with some things in their life. And yet, for some reason, these Pharisees said secretly and privately, there was a man here with a withered hand, and Jesus, would he heal him on the Sabbath day? But Jesus, in his wisdom and his insight, knew their thoughts. And you'll notice when he called somebody forth, it wasn't just anybody. It was that man with the withered hand. In his wisdom, we see his insight, but in verse 9, we see his inquiry. Verse 9, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? How How do you answer a question like that? Is it wrong to do good? And Jesus had so much wisdom in his, his insight and his inquiry tonight that we just see a little bit about the character of the Christ. And we see not only his wisdom, but secondly, we see his, his work. In verse 10, the Bible says, And looking round about upon them all, Jesus took a glance around the room. I believe he looked each Pharisee and each scribe in the eye. And the Bible says he said this, He said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Well, here's the thing, folks. I don't even see anything that Jesus did. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus did the miracle. I believe the scripture is implicit about that, that Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. We read it in Matthew. We read it in Mark. We read it in the book of Luke, and we understand that Jesus did a great work, but all Jesus said was, stretch forth your hand. He didn't say be healed. He didn't touch him in any way. He he didn't do some faith healing thing and slap him in the forehead. He just said simply stretch forth your hand and when he did, his hand was whole just like his other hand. I want you to notice that first of all his work was a discreet healing. If anybody did any work on the Sabbath that was obvious to the uh, Pharisees, it would have been the man with the withered hand, for he actually stretched forth his hand. We went, when we went to Israel, Wendy, you'll remember, and Karen was there and others that were here. When you went to the motels, the, on, on the Sabbath day, the elevators stopped on every single floor. And you say, why is that? Because it's work to reach out your hand and push a button. That's against the Torah. That's against the laws of God. And so can you imagine the man that reached forth his hand? That must have been work. And it wasn't Jesus at work. then it was the man. And yet they were mad at Jesus. Because they knew where the power lie. They knew that it was Jesus. It was a discreet healing, but it was a definite healing. The Bible says he stretched forth his hand as he did so. His hand was restored whole as the other, I want you to notice the third thing we see in the scripture. We're just outlining. We'll get to our principles in a moment. The third thing I want you to see is we see the characters, we see the Christ, but we also see the communion. Look at verse ten. Sorry, verse eleven. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another, what they might do to Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the word communed is used there? When we think of communion, we think of something that is sweet and has fellowship involved in it. We gather around the Lord's table and sometimes that's called communion where we commune together over a common thing but the word communion just simply means to fellowship around something that is shared in common and we notice, first of all, they communed around their anger. The Bible says they were filled with madness. The word madness there means an anger that is filled with rage. It's more than just anger. Somebody said this dogs get mad, people get angry. But boy, I've seen some people mad too, haven't you? They froth at the mouth, and to be mad is for your anger to turn into rage. You might say, well, that fellow's just stark raving mad. And we understand that that involves a a temper that's gone beyond and it exhibits a rage. And that's exactly what the Bible says about these Pharisees. They communed together, they had something in common. What was it? They were filled with madness. They were angry. By the way, they weren't angry that the man was healed, they were angry that it happened on the Sabbath. What a sad thing. So they communed around their anger, and secondly, they communed around their agenda. Look what it says at the end of the verse. They communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. It doesn't say what they might do with Jesus, but they might do to Jesus. Boy, that implies something wicked, doesn't it? They had this plan in their heart, and this anger and this rage filled their heart that Jesus, by, by the way, I don't believe it bothered them so much that they had, he had defiled the Sabbath. I think it bothered them because they were losing grip on their religion. And all that they knew was about to fall apart. We've talked about the characters. We've talked about the Christ. We've talked about the communion. Let me give you the conclusion tonight, and I'll give you the three things I want you to catch. Here's the first principle. This miracle revealed the brutality of religion. This miracle revealed the brutality of religion. I will probably say this about every third sermon I preach for the rest of my life. We believe in relationship, not religion. Get that in your heart. As a child of God, it is because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not because of religion. You can be religious about a lot of things. Some of you brush your teeth religiously. That means just doing the same thing over and over and over. Religion in a spiritual sense means to try to achieve a spot of righteousness with God through our dead works. It's trying to please God, working our way to God. I went to a, a funeral several years ago. It was a Roman Catholic funeral at St. Cecilia's in Port Dover. A childhood friend's mother had died, and I I'd, I'd known the family, and I had been in their home, and I knew that mom and dad had, had, had both lived very, very wicked lives and abused themselves, and both of them, as a result, died young because of it. And at that funeral, I was reminded over and over and over again by the priest that because of her baptism, because of her baptism, because of her baptism, she was in heaven today. Didn't matter that she'd never gone to church, that she'd only ever used the name of God as a cuss word. That there was no relationship with Jesus Christ, that it was simply because of a religious ritual they felt like she was in heaven. Friends, I don't believe that, and I don't preach that, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father but by me. It is about having a relationship with Jesus Christ that we understand that we have position with God the Father. And I will say that as much as I can for the rest of my life because I believe it is the uh, a fundamental principle that we must believe in having a relationship with Jesus. If you are coming to church because you think it'll get you to heaven, I'll just say this, you might as well just quit coming to church because we can do nothing for you. But if you're coming to church because you already have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to draw closer to him and learn more about him and and, and get into his word in a deeper, in a more meaningful way, then praise God, that's what we're here for. We are to fellowship with one another, encourage one another. We are part of a family, but that's all because of a relationship. Not because of religion. But this miracle we see revealed the brutality of religion. Here's what religion did. It gave these men a bunch of rules. Now think about this. This man with the withered hand, it's possible that the only time he would ever see Jesus would be on the Sabbath. Think about that. If he was faithful to the synagogue and Jesus was faithful to the synagogue, they lived in a day and an age where they had to walk everywhere they went. They didn't travel too, too far. And Jesus would soon embark on a greater ministry and head south into Jerusalem and into other cities and villages and around the areas of the Galilee. And what if this man never saw Jesus again? The brutality of religion says this, you cannot heal him because it's the Sabbath see, all the rules just rip away compassion, and they tear away at grace. Now, I understand rules are necessary. Don't get me wrong. And rules, by the way, are scriptural. You, you open up the Bible, and you'll find all kinds of rules in here. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But they're based on love for Christ. Because we love him, we want to please him, and we want to do things his way, and so we try to obey the word of God, and, and the Bible says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's a rule. We're to obey it. If, if, the, if, if there were no such thing as rules, you would never see the word obey in the Bible, but we see it all through the Bible. Rules are important. But when we have a rule that regulates our relationship with Jesus Christ, that's religion. That is not what the Bible teaches. And these Pharisees tried to regulate and put rules on it. And they made their religion brutal. There was no way they could extend compassion. There was no way they could show grace. It brought out the very worst in their religion. I said this on Wednesday night and I'll repeat it tonight. Following rules will make one obedient, but following Jesus makes one holy. Let me say that again. Following rules makes one obedient, but following Jesus will make you holy. This miracle revealed the brutality of religion. Secondly, here's your second principle. This miracle revealed the blindness of the religious. The title of my message tonight was A Withered Hand and Blinded Eyes, and here's why for this one principle. These Pharisees just couldn't see it, could they? I mean, they were looking right at it. They were staring at the Christ. As a matter of fact, they said, let's keep an eye on this thing. Let's observe tonight, let's watch and let's see. They, they went to church for the same reason some of you go to church. Let's just see how so-and-so dressed today. Let's just see how so-and-so sang that song tonight. Let's just go and let's have a critical spirit about everything. And those Pharisees went to the synagogue that day not to worship, but to see what would Jesus do. Let's put Jesus in a room with a man who was was injured and had a withered hand. and Let's just see what happens on the Sabbath day. Boy, their motives were wrong. And they were so blind. What they did because of all their religion was they missed an opportunity to minister. Several years ago, I one of my deacons didn't show up for church on a Wednesday night and that wasn't like him. He was an older gentleman and so I, I was concerned because he, uh, he was always faithful and I thought well maybe he wasn't feeling well. He was well in his 80s. And so I, I just gave him a call. and said hey I just want to make sure you're feeling okay. Boy when you're faithful and you miss people notice. And I don't mean in a bad way. I mean in a good way. And so we noticed right away he wasn't there and I called and He said, You know, Pastor, he says, I was just on my way out the door to come to church, and he says, A lady next door was working in her yard, and he says, I thought, Boy, how many times have I walked by her on my way to church and never told her about Jesus? So he says, I stopped and I told her about Jesus. And he says, You know what? She got saved. And you know that all these years later, Diana Bourne is still going to church? It's probably been a decade. She's still going to church. We baptized her, she's going to church. Oh wait a minute! He missed church. it was seven o'clock on a Wednesday. Night. How dare he miss church? No, no, no! He took an opportunity to win a soul to Christ. Well, we get we get so religious sometimes that we miss the big picture. The, this miracle reveals the blindness of the religious. The Pharisees were completely blinded to the need of the man. With the, they they didn't care about him. They cared about was was Jesus going to obey the rules? They didn't care about that man. Here's what they did. They used him as bait to try to trap Jesus. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 23. We're almost done. I'll move quickly. Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read quite a few verses here very quickly, so you listen fast. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works." For they say and do not, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not more uh, will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and Enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, and be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted, but woe unto you, scribes, And Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering in to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever Shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind! For whether it is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind! For whether it is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whosoever therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, and sweareth by it, by him. Dwelleth therein, and he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at gnat and swallow a camel. Ye unto you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup of the platter, and within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whitened sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even and so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity boy that sums it up pretty good doesn't it the bible says that this miracle revealed the blindness of the religious Jesus said to them in Matthew 23 boy you look good on the outside but you're a mess on the inside and how many times in Matthew 23 did he say you're blind you don't see the truth Matthew chapter seven, verses 22 and 23 say this. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I, I don't mean to add to scripture, but I think you could honestly put in there, and we've been religious, and we've kept the Sabbath, and we've kept all the rules of the law, We didn't show any love or compassion or grace. Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. This miracle revealed the blindness of the religious. And finally, this miracle revealed the beauty of restoration. Notice what the Bible says about this man. Luke chapter 6. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them... All he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. Now look at the next phrase, and he did so, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. Here's, here's what's often missed in this story this man stretched forth his hand, and it was whole like all the other hand, or his other hand. And he went happily home, rejoicing and praising God, and a fight breaks out in the church house. Pharisees and the scribe, the Bible says, were filled with madness. They began to commune with one another. What are we going to do to Jesus? Boy, have you ever been to a church business meeting like that? I hope not. They got together and they got angry, but here's the sad part, folks. Do you know that in that religious crowd, they likely had some needs as well? I think odds would say that Some of them had a family member who stood in need of a touch from Christ. There was no doubt that maybe some in that group were sick themselves. But because of the hardness of their hearts, the withered man walked home healed and whole. And they missed out on a touch from Jesus. You see what happens? This miracle shows us the beauty of restoration. I I don't want to focus on those other religious crowd. I want to think about that man with the withered hand, how he was feeling. God touched him. God restored him. The book of Matthew tells us that he rejoiced now that he was made whole. Think of all the things that were going through his mind as he walked home and he's looking at the hand. Well, hey, I can go back to work. I can take care of my family again. I can put food on the table. I can put a roof over their head. I don't have to depend on people anymore. I can just trust in God and go about my business. His life was changed. This religious crowd, they missed out on the work of Christ and the beauty of restoration. It was this one who was f- simply just faithful. And when Jesus said, stretch out your hand, he did, and he was made whole. He said, what, are, what do you want me to take home tonight? Here's what I want you to take on. If, if we think about all this religion and these religious group and their blindness and their hardness, and listen, don't miss out on an opportunity for God to work because of a hard heart. So often we're skeptical about things, and we're so careful about the things that we hear. And but we don't want to be called charismatic. Listen, I got to tell you what: I serve an omnipotent God, a God who is all powerful. I have seen God work. We've heard testimony in this church: people that have come back with their scans cleared and they're healed of cancer. And you say, well, once, twice, probably five or six times in the last few years. I'm thinking of Caesar. I'm thinking of Johann. I'm thinking of Jim Wood and those that have had all these scans come back and all of a sudden there's no problem anymore. They cut Jim's neck open. They went down into fix his heart and they said, we don't see a problem in there. What what are we doing in here? God healed him. I I, I serve a big God and a powerful God. But if you're going to be Stuck to this this religious nonsense that God has to fit. Here's here's what it is: for the Pharisees, God had to fit into their box. God doesn't fit in anybody's box, because just when you think you got him in a box, he starts walking on the water. And just when you think you got him in a box, he starts calming the storming seas. He's a big God. He's an all powerful God. And for a man in the Bible that didn't have a title, he wasn't called a Pharisee or a scribe, here's what his name will go down in history as, the man with the withered hand. He's the one that got the blessing from God for simply obeying and stretching forth his hand. Listen, don't miss the work of God because of a hard heart, because of religious blindness, because of a lack of grace or compassion on somebody else. Let, let God work in you and let God work through you to be a help and a blessing to others. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Father, if there's a message in this tonight, it might be this. We may not have a withered hand, but we could have blinded eyes. I mean in a spiritual sense, Lord. And Father, I think sometimes we miss opportunities to see God work in our hearts and lives because we just chalk it up and say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't work like that. We're Baptists after all. But God, I know that you are an all-powerful, almighty God who delights in the impossible. The Bible says, for nothing shall be impossible with God. Lord, as we study these miracles, we see time and time again that Jesus can do anything he wants to do. You are a sovereign God. Help us to trust in you. Grow our faith as a result of this study through the miracles of Christ. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. and We're just going to let the piano play and Brother Baker sing. If God spoke to your heart, you just step out and come and do business with God.